Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm Lizzie No, and this is Cindy House. Lizzie, what's up? Life is great. I'm on vacation right now <laughs> in Washington State. <laughs> I've been on tour. I survived my first tour since COVID. I got to meet you, Cindy, which was so much fun. We pet so many animals. We chilled. We ate meals. We boogied down. It was great. How are you? Oh my gosh, I am um, recovering from this really terrible uh, reaction I had to some medication. No. And it's the most, it's terrible. It's like the most wild time I've ever had. Uh, I just like woke up one morning and was very, feeling very itchy and oh then no. had to go to the emergency room and get <gasps> like emergency steroids. I look like I had just gotten so much plastic surgery because my because <laughs> of all the swelling and stuff. It was really terrible. Cindy, if you got a bit of work done, you can just tell us. This is a safe space. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like I went through all the pain and torment and everything still looks the same after Beautiful. after it's done. But it's really crazy when your body is like, "Hey, buddy, I'm going to need you to not do anything for seven days, you know, and you That's really intense. have to listen to it. God, I watch so much TV. What do you watch? I have some good recommendations. Oh, good, good, good. A lot of times I just like could only listen to things because my eyes were swollen <gasps> shut. Cindy, <sighs> <So> <laughs> I weep for you. That's awful. I know. It was really terrible, actually. Like, I haven't been, I took pictures of my face, but I haven't been showing them to people because it's just like so disturbing. That's between you and God. Yeah. So I watched White Lotus again. I watched it twice. Nice. White Lotus is on HBO. It's about these like super rich white privileged people who go to a, a luxury resort in Hawaii. Um, and it's the same guy who did, he did a couple other really fantastic shows. I think his name is Mike White. Yes. And he wrote this incredible part for Jennifer Coolidge, who actually I was looking like last week um, with no. my lips exploding. Well, no, Jennifer Coolidge is beautiful, but you don't look like her normally. Right. So that's not a yeah, great sign. Normally I, I, uh, I look very different from her, but she's excellent in it. Um, and I think that this guy also did. Do you ever watch that Jennifer Aniston movie, The Good Girl? No, I never heard of it. It's It's a similar kind of like interesting character study in female characters. Um, but anyways, Great. the other two shows that I watched were The Chair on Netflix with Sandra Oh, where oh, she I love Sandra becomes, 
Yeah, she's very funny. It's only one season long, and she becomes the chair of the English department at Pembroke College or University and all of the the problems that that comes with. And she's, like, I think the first non-white person to head that chair. Um, And it's very funny. Uh, And then I also watched The Other Two, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a silly show on HBO of these two siblings who have a much younger sibling who's kind of like a Justin Bieber Oh my god. Um, type and these these other siblings, the other two are like in their <laughs> 30s and just like failing upwards and it was very funny. And I've been reading your your book recommendation. <gasps> All the water I've seen is running. Yeah. Shout out to Elias Rodriguez, the homie at Sarah Lawrence College. Also, I got it from the library, which was fun to be able to like go back uh, to, to like dive into the like I always forget about the library it's yeah. like oh you can get any book you want learn a language find a job the library is dear to my heart and some I, I'm hesitating to even say this publicly but I'm kind of like the Jason Bourne of library cards in that I have library cards for like four different cities and sometimes <laughs> if I'm looking for a particular like book for my Kindle I'll shop around like Let's check out Brooklyn. Let's check out Princeton, New Jersey. Like, let's... Oh, my God. You're going to get arrested. I know. They're going to find me. They're going to get me for this. And I will oh I God. will go quietly. <laughs> <laughs> I admit my crimes. So this episode featuring Elisa Amador is coming out on September 16th. So happy <gasps> September 16th, everyone. Happy birthday to Claire Quinlan, my one and only sister and best friend in life. Happy birthday, Claire. Um, you are going to be at a festival in Western Massachusetts where we might run into each other yes. in East Hampton. Can you yes. tell us about that? What's, what's oh happening? my gosh. I am so excited about this festival. It is called the Arcadia Folk Fest. Um, I believe Suzanne Vega and Lori McKenna are playing this year. It is in mm. the Audubon Wildlife Reserve and it's sponsored by Signature Sounds and they're just great curators of music. And I'm going to be up there. My set is on September 19th. There is a lot of great folky stuff happening on that side of Massachusetts within that week because that's happening in East Hampton. And then a couple of days later, Freshgrass Festival is happening in North Adams at Mass Mocha. So that's September 24th through the 26th. And Mm -hmm. I'll be there. Um, And I was trying to get my cousin Rick to come who lives in Western Mass, and then he asked me if I was going to that show. Made me want to talk about this, but Freshgrass Festival, I've never been, I'm really excited. Um, uh, Bela Fleck, Watch House. Oh man, I wish I could go. Where are you going, why can't you? I'm going to Americana Fest. I am a panelist this year, which is very new for me. I'm gonna have to put on my sort of academic suit, um, and I'm gonna be speaking on a panel with Holly G and Marcus Dowling and Miko Marks, um, and our panel is called The Unbroken Black Circle. So we're going to be talking wow. about black artists and folk and blues and Americana. So it's basically just going to be a great hang. That's awesome. And some good good discussion. Miko Marks is an artist that I was supposed to interview last week, but my face was swole. So we're trying no, to reschedule. Cindy, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That'll be a great conversation when it happens, though. I'm excited. I'm really, really excited to meet her. 
Oh, cool. Cool. Um, cool. Well, let's talk about Elisa Amador, who uh, Lizzie interviewed for Basic Folk today. You want to set us up? Yes. Elisa Amador is a fabulous artist and a delight to talk to. She is so, so grounded, and I love the way that she thinks about life and connecting with other people. Um, and something that really stands out to me about her as a, as a performer is that she's been performing as a musician since long before she thought of herself as an artist. She started out singing backup at the age of four or five for her parents, um, who are fabulous musicians who do a lot of work in children's music. Um, so she kind of got her start being like thrown up on stage with her whole family and her twin. And then her own artistry has been this process of learning her own tastes, learning her own songwriting style, really falling in love with the guitar and traveling the world and figuring out how to be a truly bilingual songwriter, which on its face is like, yeah, sure. If someone speaks two languages, they're going to write in both of those languages. But for Elisa, I, what I find in her songwriting is that they're, is this fusion of cultures and influences that goes beyond just like having double vocabulary, right? Like she's mm-hmm. drawing on um, Latin American culture and ways of thinking and ways of looking at the world. And it just is this whole amazing universe that she has in her songs. So we talked about um, her influences and writing in two languages and the process of making this incredible um, new album that she has coming out called Narratives. Um, so it was just like such a treat to talk to her. Hmm. And another thing that I think people need to know is that she has one of the coolest voices I've ever heard. Um, I was kind of fangirling out at the beginning of our interview because last summer she and I played a live stream together for Club Passim. And I was like, who is this woman? Like even <laughs> through my terrible internet connection, I was like, this voice sounds like sort of like an elven call coming from outside of time. She's got an incredible voice. So I think people are going to love her EP. It's jazzy. It's folksy. It's really intimate. It's really personal. It's like like a timeless sound, really, that draws you in. She's a phenomenon. I think she's going to be a huge star because she's you can't take her eyes off her when she's performing and Mm -hmm. um she's just so committed to connecting with people across cultures and across time so Mm. it was great to talk with her star on the rise elisa amador star on the rise uh okay well let's take a listen to a song from um elisa's new ep the song is Mm -hmm. called together and then we'll get to our conversation with lizzie doe and elisa amador on basic folk All of the people of all of the earth Each with a reason, a heart, and a worth Some devastate when you're in their way And dig themselves deeper in hopes that you stay Childlike blunders that cover up feeling afraid But when we're together Wandering souls to make it better when it 
Alisa Amador, welcome to Basic Folk. I am so excited to be talking with you, um, mostly because I met you, I think, a year ago when we did the, the Passim live stream, and I told everyone who would listen, like, you have uh. to listen to this woman. Her voice is incredible, and your songs were just so special. And anyways, so <laughs> I'm not going to fan out for the full hour, but I am just like really pumped to be talking with you about your new music. Lizzie, thank you so much for having me, really. This is this is a dream come true to be back on Basic Folk. It was the, yeah! the first thought that came into my mind when it was time to start promoting this album. And um, yeah, it's just really special to get to talk to people who listen with such heart to this music and... Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, we certainly do that. Before we get into the new stuff, I want to take it way back. Okay. <laughs> so your musical journey began when you were four, five years old? Yes. Um, you were a backup singer in your parents' band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want you to like put us in the body of baby Alisa, like... <laughs> Do you remember performing at that age? Like, what was that like for you? Were you aware, like, there's a big audience here, this is a job, or did it feel <laughs> like something that was your parents' thing that you were tagging along? Or what was, like, what was your con- conception of it at the time? Oh, I love that question. Well, <laughs> baby Elisa knew no other life. So I, <laughs> I think I, there was, like, especially, I think when you're a child, you have so little judgment about anything or like a grasp of what's like quote unquote normal or average right and and so I just from the moment we were born I think my parents stayed home for a few months and then within a few months they started touring again so wow so that was just the life that I knew growing up and and I didn't I didn't fully comprehend how unusual that is until um until I was in high school, I think. Um, yeah, I bet. Yeah, but ba- baby Elisa was just like running onto the stage and had no, maybe too little concern about the audience. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure I did plenty of embarrassing things as a child on that stage, like maybe asking my mom for milk or something like that. But, sure. <laughs> but You're, you had your priorities. In yeah. Order. I mean, I was much better at meeting my needs. Now I'm learning how to listen to myself <laughs> again. <laughs> but, but anyway. <laughs> but um, something that I do remember really clearly is that my twin brother and I were always in the minivan, like in and out of the minivan mm-hmm. and always going to the back door of all of these venues and not actually necessarily experiencing the audience house space ever. Right. Just like being backstage, walking through all the all the like staff entryways and um, and always seeing like the underbellies of these fancy buildings you know (laughs) wild and and then in the green rooms we would just my brother and I would just scrounge around for things that we could turn into toys or a game and oh very good one time (laughs) yeah yeah one time 
in some like museum in Florida, I think, where my parents were playing. They had styrofoam cups back when styrofoam was popular. And R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Yes, please, R.I.P. Don't come back. <laughs> and we took the styrofoam cups and the and the little coffee stirrers, and we found a ballpoint pen like in the corner of the room, and Good. and we stuck the coffee stirrers through the cup and made it little arms, and then made a face with the ballpoint pen, and we like turned these coffee cups and stirrers into little dollies, little puppets. And we're just playing with them and we're super entertained by these coffee cups. So it really was just like this game of being creative and entertaining yourself while mommy and papi were on the stage singing their hearts out and just like shredding and sounding amazing. Oh my gosh. And sometimes we would like scamper to the backstage and and watch from the from the wings and um, but the the music was so amazing all the time. Like mm-hmm. that that I realize now how much of a privilege that was to just be seeing again and again and experiencing again and again this like vibrant, incredibly powerful music live. Yeah, I mean, in a way, you were really lucky because it's a very small slice of. Mm-hmm. The population that gets to grow up surrounded by music in that way mm-hmm. and you didn't really have a choice or an awareness of whether it was good or not compared to others so yeah. thank god your parents were actually amazing yeah. um because you could have been touring around with joe schmo can't hold a tune <laughs> um but instead you got this incredible musical education yeah. and once you started performing, like once you started going out onto the stage to sing, was it kind of like off to the races there? Like, did you always, did you get the bug and always have a desire to sing? Or were there times where your parents kind of pushed you into it? Mm. Like, come on, you got to practice. You got to do, you got to, you know, work on your craft. Or did you just already have a sense that this is what you wanted to be doing? Mm, I I remember there was like a rebellion phase at about 12 years mm-hmm. old where we didn't want to perform, we didn't want to be the backup singers for this children music anymore, these children's right. songs anymore. We were like, we're too old, we're too big to sing a counting song and the days of the week song. And, and so we, like, <laughs> we took a break from the band. We went on strike. <laughs> and, oh my and, God, yeah. how did it feel? It Well, I mean, when you're 12, I think there's just so much angst that it was like just another... Thing that was happening at that time that was yes. overwhelming but the response from my parents was okay tell us what kinds of songs you want to sing and, oh. and my dad said I'll make an arrangement to one and we'll play it as a band and honor your voice and so oh my yeah gosh. so there was there was no easy out for you I, that's like no. so slick of your parents I love very it very slick yeah <laughs> that, very perceptive of you they yeah they just love including us and so it was very sweet and it was it really did um like open this new kind of chapter for performing mm-hmm. and yeah and then from there it was always just like something I did with my family, something that I loved deeply. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was in high school and I started writing songs, that's when I realized somebody asked me then and 
I just, I realize that that's the first time I said this, and I've been saying this in interviews lately, which is this. I realized then, when I was like 15, 16, that I would be lying to myself if I wasn't a musician. Right. And that's just the truth, and it's continued to be the truth. So even though I knew I had so much more to learn and so much life to live, I knew that music was always going to have to be Mm -hmm. a major part of my life. I didn't know when I was 15 or 16 that it was like my career, career path. A profession, right. Yeah, but I knew that it had to be a very important part of my life. And then in college, that's when I started playing out a lot and I had already oh, been I had been playing out in high school as well but in college mm-hmm. it was like oh this is really what I want to dedicate myself to this is yeah. when you got when you got serious well when did you you picked up guitar around 10 mm-hmm. can you tell me about that transition like was it right away a thing of I'm gonna sing and play singer songwriter was it more of a classical let's learn guitar in its own right thing was it kind of a mix yeah when I started learning guitar, I didn't write songs, and I never thought mm-hmm. I would write songs. I just thought... Interesting. Yeah, I thought I was just, like, a vocalist who loved to mm-hmm. sing, and, and I would learn guitar to accompany myself and to be more connected to other musicians, but but I never expected that I would become a songwriter. And I was just playing nylon string, because that's what my dad played, and... And I was playing it in like the flamenco position, like with a yes up around your ears, <laughs> up around my seated ears. on a pillow. Yeah, <laughs> seated, seated upright on a chair with like a pillow under my mm-hmm. guitar, like a stand, a stand mm-hmm. under my guitar, or well, a stand under my foot so that my knee was lifted and the guitar was lifted. And and my guitar teacher kept saying, "Are you sure you want to play it like that? Like we're just <laughs> we're just studying like Monster Mash." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, this is how you play guitar. It was the monster mash. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, so cute. Yeah, but I, I just loved playing guitar. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And so, so then for a while, I was studying and like advancing really quickly, and and then I, mm-hmm. I kind of just plateaued at, at like, thirteen or something, and mm-hmm. and I put down the guitar, and I focused on other things, and then. And then I started going through a really difficult period in my life where one of my closest friends was really, really sick. And mm-hmm. I was feeling a kind of pain that that I hadn't experienced before in my life. And I turned right. to writing songs in a way to like speak to them the words that I knew they couldn't hear or understand in that moment. Right. And that's when the guitar suddenly became this like, new instrument to me this like vehicle Mm -hmm. for pouring your emotions into it not just this vehicle for like learning other people's songs and it just became this like super powerful tool for right for like holding the space in which I could finally verbalize what I was feeling and what I wish I could tell to the people I loved so so then the guitar took on a totally different life That's so interesting to me because in a few of your interviews, you've talked about using songwriting for connection, Mm -hmm. and that's sort of a different take than I've heard 
other people talk about their songwriting. Like when I write a song, mm. oftentimes it's truly just for me. And if anyone else hears it, like, well, great for them. <laughs> um, but it sounds like right from the beginning, you were working out how to relate to another person's experience and maybe translate what someone else was going through mm. with your songwriting. Mm. And is that something you're like, you're still kind of working out on the new EP? Like, I feel like there's a little bit of that thread still there. Yeah. Mm. Well, I believe very deeply in this philosophy that music is one of the last forms of magic that we have on earth that mm -hmm. that can prompt strangers to be in a room together and experience something really yeah. vulnerable and cathartic or joyful or just something intense, be it happy, mm -hmm. tears, dancing, laughter, or all of those things. Like, right. There just aren't very many opportunities for a bunch of strangers to come together and experience something that open-heartedly and and music has that power so I do I do carry that with me every time I write a song I think I I consciously wow. carry that with me that being said when I'm writing I can't be thinking too actively about like the audience and what will they think and what's the effect right. and who's the audience who am I talking to you know <laughs> like all of the questions that your that your writing teacher told you when you were writing mm -hmm. an essay like I can't think about all of those at once when I'm writing for me that just doesn't work what I do is I basically stop thinking and just go mm -hmm. into a space of feeling and mm -hmm. and let the the guitar melody it's usually some sort of melody that comes kind of by accident while I'm practicing for something mm -hmm. else. And then, mm -hmm. and I let that kind of guide the structure of the verses and the chorus. And then once that first verse and that chorus is there, then that's like the limitation that I have to fit words right. into, right? And somehow that limitation like forces me to be even more honest because I can't just say something the way I, I want to say it literally I have to say it in a way that fits within that structure right yeah and and so then you end up saying things in ways you never would have said but feel like so spot on um oh wow yeah that's such a great way of putting it oh thank you I'm so glad I yeah it's hard to talk about yeah, form can feel really restrictive. Yeah. I think until you've gotten enough practice to treat it like a puzzle. And I th and you've mm -hmm. been writing songs long enough and with enough expertise that you start to figure out those like, oh, this is going to push me in an interesting direction. And it's actually not a bad thing to be like backed into a corner a little bit because you're totally. going to write your way out of it in an inventive way. Yeah. And, and when I, I like don't panic in those moments. I just, mm -hmm. I just play that part again and again and say mm -hmm. what seems like random words until, until it, it sounds so cheesy, but it's like the heart guides it. The heart really guides it. Yes. And I have to turn off mm -hmm. my brain. I have to turn mm -hmm. off any sense of judgment and just say what's coming straight from there. And like, I don't even remember it that clearly. Every time I write a song, it's like a dream mm -hmm sort of like half yes. conscious unconscious yeah you you know this feeling hard relate the flow state but yeah it's so crazy it is kind of like it's some strange ethereal drug but yeah. it's great it's just this 
really powerful way to to connect with something beyond words mm-hmm. and somehow articulate it. But all of that to say, when I come from the most honest place, I try to always focus on relaying the story honestly. And mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean necessarily I have to tell all of my personal information in the song. No. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like are you capturing that emotion honestly? Are you yes. capturing that experience honestly or or the the reaction in your body? That that kind of that's mm-hmm. the gist of it and and when what I've realized is that when you're that honest it's just going to resonate with people and that's going to bring people in make them feel less alone when they hear it because they'll feel like oh my god I've felt that so many times or that reminds Mm -hmm. me of that fight I had with my grandma or like there's just so (laughs) many there's so many life experiences that that connect to those emotions be it like overwhelming joy about a friendship or or a moment where you're like I just want to be kind to myself or a moment of like heartbreak total heartbreak like there's just so many ways to experience that but when you give a few words to them and a melody it can like reach people and hold space for people regardless of who they are how old they are where they're from Mm -hmm. like and and that is so cool that like tapping into honesty and being connected from a heart-centered place can just like bring people in and I just I love that and and so that's like the long and short of it of my philosophy and like my songwriting process and how Mm -hmm. it somehow connects to bringing people together in Mm -hmm. music. like that connection and that heart-centered flow like do you do you conceptualize that as like something spiritual or transcendent Mm. or like do you have a belief in magic and spirit and all that stuff or is it like grounded in reality for you not that they're like necessarily separate but like do you feel like you have a sense of the spiritual in your creative process definitely I'm so uh I feel like I'm just at the beginning of understanding Mm -hmm. my spirituality even though I've always been thinking about it but it's just a fact of life for me that this is a spiritual experience Mm -hmm. and I yeah I'm learning more and more to be okay with not being able to explain away my feelings my experiences or the things I cannot understand and I think interesting yeah the older the older I get, I sound so old, but, <laughs> but you know, as time goes by and, and life kind of tests me in different ways and pushes me around, I think, I just think about how I keep getting these opportunities to be more open to the mystery of this experience. And, um, yeah, 
Yeah, well, I can't so. wait for your like transcendental, <laughs> magical, realist album to come. Thank you. I feel like that could be that could be in the cards for you because yeah. there's already some hints of it. You know, yeah, <laughs> there are hints of it, especially when I write in Spanish. I think I'm more connected mm-hmm. to my magical realism in Spanish, which I guess makes sense. There's a long tradition of that in Spanish language literature, but um, but also almost speaking of like limitation being the catalyst for more creativity Mm -hmm. like my vocabulary is inherently smaller in my native language in Spanish just because I didn't like I've never lived for years at a time in a Spanish-speaking place Mm so so I've just always been like speaking in Spanish at home and then going to school in English almost all the time so so I just have a smaller vocabulary and what ends up happening is that when I write in Spanish different words get paired than I would in English and and Mm -hmm. lyrics often sound way more there's way more imagery there's Mm -hmm. way more like poetry or poetic sounding phrasing um like pairing words like paper airplane um yes because it might be like a younger self that you're tapping into yeah yeah it's like a younger self but with all of the life experience that I've Mm -hmm. that I've had so far so I yeah I I think I feel almost more connected to the spirit when I write in Spanish which which explains a lot of why um my most like heart on my sleeve songs some of them are Mm -hmm. they just had to come out in Spanish yeah okay I I have some questions about that coming up um but while we're on this topic can you tell me about your time in Argentina and yeah. the music scenes that you were involved in there? Yes. Um, and and like, do you feel like there's any influence now? Absolutely. Uh, based on the time that you spent there? Yes. So I lived in Buenos Aires in 2018 or 2017 mm-hmm. for half a year, which is the longest that I'd lived um, outside of Boston in my whole life, mm-hmm. even though I've always traveled. And I... At first, I thought it was going to break me, like moving Mm -hmm. to a new place, especially I moved to Argentina with the idea that I would get in touch with my roots because my grandfather's from there and I had an uncle there. And and so I was like, I've never gotten to explore my Latinidad like in a place where everyone's from there or a lot of people are from there. And so I took that opportunity and I went, but... What ended up happening is that it's like here in the States, everybody told me I was, quote unquote, exotic, Latinx, like, right, you know, and um, and then we could go on. Yeah, we could go on with the list of adjectives. And then I moved to Argentina and everybody's there is telling me, oh, you're American. Oh, you're not right. like the people from here. You're not like us and that's not the word that we use here in Argentina oh like gosh. you you speak you <laughs> speak funny because I I speak a Spanish that's like a product of like the whole Spanish speaking diaspora like I know vocabulary yeah. words from all these different countries but I don't actually know necessarily where they're coming from like that's just the mm-hmm. word that I know you know so so mm-hmm. I just I experienced a lot of moments of just feeling like wow do I belong anywhere and I broke down and I felt like I was totally like 
broken into pieces. And then from there, I met Nika y Piñasar and Facuparla, like right when I was in the like broken mm-hmm. phase of the living in a new country. And they are these incredible, incredible songwriters and unbelievable musicians, just like so skilled and so devoted <laughs> to music. Um, and they were running this music series out of a tiny art studio and furniture making shop. Oh, stop. In a workshop, yeah. That, That's too precious. Yeah, it was so cool. It's too nice. It was so cool. So, so cool. <laughs> so we became connected. They invited me to play in El Taller in the workshop. And and I played this song that is really important to me. It's a Radiohead cover mm-hmm. by Jorge Drexler, this really wow. um, established and very respected and loved Uruguayan singer-songwriter. So from the next country over, from Argentina, but mm-hmm. very loved across the Spanish-speaking world. And so at the end of my set, I like play my songs, and at the end I play High and Dry by Radiohead, but like <gasps> inspired by Jorge Drexler's version. Yeah. And this is a song that I'd been playing for several years in the States mm-hmm. that I loved so much, and no one ever recognized it, and they were always like, oh, that's a cool version of the Radiohead song. Oh, yeah. But in the taller, everybody was singing along to every inflection, everything. <gasps> they they all knew it. And so I knew I was in the right crowd because we all loved Jorge Drexler. And then from oh my there. God. Yeah. And and <laughs> and like that that song itself also feels like such a metaphor for me, you know, like covering this yeah. Uruguayan songwriter's cover of a Radiohead song. Like, I love Radiohead. Mm-hmm. I love Jorge Drexler. And there I was in Argentina playing this song that felt like it really described me it being inter yeah. intercultural. And everyone was just like, I love it. And and I connect with this and I identify with this. and. And from there, oh this gosh. friendship was forged with Nika and Faku and, and their um, collaborators and colleagues and friends. And we all started playing together. And and it changed my life for many reasons. But one thing that really stood out to me was that they have this philosophy that if you are here, then your music is part of our culture. Your presence here means that you are part of our culture wow isn't that so powerful like oh man just like no more question about belonging or validity of your work or Mm -hmm. what genre are you or anything it's like you are here so you are a part of our culture Mm -hmm. and I try to carry that with me everywhere I go as an audience member as an and as an artist to just no longer be worried about what box I need to fit in or what about the audience, will they relate or any of that. Like, we're all here and we're all forming our culture together by being here together. And right, ah, we have to make culture as we go. Exactly, exactly. And that's why a musician's job is so incredibly important because we're so directly right. connected to that. We're like tapping away, we're making it. Yeah. <laughs> 
that experience makes me think about one of your songs that I love, which is Milonga Occidental. Mm. And you're talking about, am I ever going to feel at home in my voice? Yeah. And and it really does capture that feeling of being two things at once. Yeah. Um, and the ways in which that can be stressful. So I'm wondering when you wrote that and like, how are you relating to that now? Mm. Like, how do you feel singing that song now? Oh, I still relate to it so much. I wrote it during the pandemic, I think in like November 2020 or mm-hmm. October 2020. And tough times. Yeah, truly tough times. And <laughs> <laughs> I was in a songwriting class actually in Argentina with my friends there. We all mm-hmm. they they organized a class and asked me to join. So through Zoom, we were this like bi-hemispherical um, intercontinental <laughs> songwriting class and we all had to bring in a song every week and one week that that song came out that guitar line just came out and from there mm-hmm. I don't know why I said cuando miro afuera cuando miro afuera I was just probably looking out a window <laughs> yeah I just like I often, as I am right now, sitting next to a window, I'm, I, I think I need a window in order to write songs. Yes. You too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can rarely even write songs inside. I really? You have to be I outside. usually need to be outside. Yeah. That's so cool. Walking is my songwriting studio. Oh, well, walking. I still, I just bundle up. That's brilliant. Oh, but that's that's such a nice thing to picture that you're at your window actually. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, that's that's all it was. Like just literally thinking, here I am and in this moment I look out, but I'm also looking inwardly. Mm-hmm. And um and I often play with opposites in my songs, the opposition. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Especially because there's there's like I think two reasons why opposition is so important in songwriting. One is that it like almost like highlights the the space in between the two mm-hmm. and then another part is that I just feel like I'm always in opposition with myself I think I'm I think I'm like this and then I and then I yell at my mom and I'm like who am I and then <laughs> who is she yeah who is this person and then I think I'm I think I identify as like this Latinx person and then I I feel like such a New Englander in another moment and yeah and like and then I think I'm I am like thinking in Spanish and then I'm thinking in Spanglish and then I'm thinking in English and then there's just like so many moments of contradictions in all of our lives and and I I definitely feel like I'm always noticing it and and learning Mm -hmm. to be at peace with that and realize that like I can be a human being living with contradictions mm-hmm. and I'm not doing this life thing wrong. <laughs> no. And in fact, it's probably your superpower because mm, thank you. Um, nobody else has your particular contradictions mm. and nobody else has your particular voice. And the way that you express the ping-ponging back and forth is like part of what makes your art. Mm. So I think it's a great thing. Mm, thank you. Well, I, w- I want to dive in to the Narratives yeah. EP, which I have been listening to on repeat. It is gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Um, I was intrigued because you said in an interview that 
one of your goals with the EP was to capture your live set. Mm -hmm. Um, and that like live performing is really where you feel the most comfortable and you were kind of trying to bring that into the studio. So can you talk me through how you went about taking like an embodied live set and translating it in the studio? Like I'm assuming you tracked each instrument separately or did you do do it live with the band? Like how did you make it seem so much like a warm live set? Yay. I'm glad it seems like a warm live set. That was the hope and the dream is I want people to feel like almost like they're living inside of a song mm-hmm. when they listen to the song and and as if they just have like the best seat in the house with the best sound system and like if they were to open their eyes they would be at that venue you know but that was the intention and the way we did it was we played the songs live in in this great wonderful big room studio in Waltham Wooly Mammoth. It's a great studio. I don't know if I should share it. Like now the secret's out, but like it's great. (laughs) It's a really, really great studio. I'm writing it down. (laughs) I'm getting in my car. Exactly. I'm booking up the summer. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really special studio and it and it's just like this old factory building that got turned into this very homey, very eclectic space with a great sound. So we were just sharing that room together Jacob the drummer in my band he was in his own like room within the in a room within Mm -hmm. the live room that where we could all see him so it had windows and and so it was as if we were we were like in a circle formation watching each other and playing through the songs live what we did do before going into the studio is that we played the songs live with Daniel Radin the producer who I Mm -hmm. worked with who's brilliant at his house in Watertown we would get together in his basement and play the songs live and really think about how we can honor the live arrangement in a recording so oh interesting maybe that meant can you give an example of a choice like that maybe for someone who hasn't recorded in a studio before like yeah what does that look like in real time yeah so like for example we weren't gonna like trade fours (laughs) we weren't gonna like trade solos back and forth in a recording (laughs) it did not feel right and it didn't feel like it would maintain the the energy and the vibrance of the song if we were to do that in a recording so so we definitely made sure that there weren't any solos unless they were really like almost like what would you call it like the maple syrup like super condensed Mm -hmm. if solos are like the maple sap then then the solos we kept in the recording were like the maple syrup of like 40 gallons it's one gallon of maple syrup like yes we really it needs to be like the keystone and like really pushing the song along and really like the core yes of what's going on that makes a lot of sense yes so we so we really like we kept those and and we and we crafted those moments i have such an amazing band and i work with such incredible people that i Mm -hmm. i did want everyone to shine at some point um yeah but we found these ways to do it in like two seconds like oh that bass riff oh that drum fill like so good and um and had a great time the one solo that we did keep in its entirety is a vocal solo that I do mm-hmm. in a song called Slow Down. And that felt right because it's almost like the voice takes on the instrument role in that mm-hmm. part. And it's this space for people to feel. Yes. To feel 
the feelings they need to feel <laughs> in that song. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that part of church where they're like, please stand up and greet your neighbor and like say one nice thing. Yeah. Like, now is the moment for you to feel some feelings yeah. and then we're going to bring you back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Feel I whatever love that you song. need That's to such feel. such a fun way to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you really do guide us along in an emotional experience. I don't want to forget to ask you, mm. what was the sample at the beginning of timing? Like, was that from one of your live shows? That, that like, sort of live room sound? Yeah, good ear. Okay, so that sample is from the first time we went into Daniel's basement. And we're just laying down tracks. And we were just having fun playing this song. And then I think someone was like playing it. And and we were also talking and laughing. And it was just so great. And from that first day that we were tracking together in the basement, that was the intro that we wanted it to be. And Mm -hmm. it just stuck. It stuck all the way to to this day. And and it feels so right. It just feels like that reminds us of where this music comes from it's like it comes from just like three people coming together to figure out a song I wrote and a lot of laughter and a lot of frustration and and feeling all the things you need to feel and and like letting it out in a great groove and Uh, I love that moment because you it it kind of takes a minute to orient yourself Mm. in the recording because it's the opening track of the EP. Mm-hmm. You're hearing this like room sound, you're wondering like, where am I? And then suddenly everything kind of just gets sucked out and you're centered in this like really warm, yeah. really present recording. And it reminds you like, there are like many different contexts to take this music in. Like there's the live context, there's the recording, mm-hmm. there's like imagining you as a songwriter writing it. And like, I love thinking about all the different lives that a song has. So that was like a I feel like that was like a song nerd Easter egg. <laughs> that was really fu- a fun moment. I love it. I'm I also so have a question yeah. about a lyric on that song mm. where you say, I'm tired of being right. <laughs> that like smacked me across the face. Um, and it also made me think a lot about what I feel like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is a theme on the EP, which is that you have this tension between being hopeful versus being like cynical and guarded. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wonder if I can ask you a personal question, like do you feel like you are a naturally hopeful person or do you have Mm -hmm. to go through exercises and consciously work towards remaining open-hearted and hopeful? Mm. I am definitely an open-hearted person and depending on the day I'm a hopeful person I think okay I'm definitely yeah I think I think this pandemic time has stripped me of some of my resilience and Mm. and so I'm working on growing that back um in my what do you mean by that it's like like your resilience yeah well when you have so many days oh I live by a train by the way (laughs) Just so that everybody knows. So do I. So who knows? Yeah. If we're hearing a train, it could be it could be mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun stuff. Urban life. But um. Yeah. What I mean by that is, I think when. When you have to face so many days that are that uncertain, and so like everybody experienced this in some way during the pandemic. 
I really think so. But especially as a musician or any kind of artist or gig work, like it was so unsteady for a very extended Mm. period of time. And if my resilience was, was like the, the protective walls that I have up around my spirit, then this past year and a half was like a raging ocean that was just eroding Oof. <laughs> eroding that wow wall. I relate to that really <laughs> strongly yeah 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 thank you for for going there I feel mm. like this people always say like what doesn't kill you make you strong makes you stronger or whatever but I do think there are times where like suffering actually leaves a mark and it's not like everything happens for a reason like sometimes hard things just wear us down and yeah. we have to live through it and it's not some like redemptive let's learn a lesson moment yeah it's like maybe in a few years we can say that we learned a lesson yeah. you know? like like can i can i just like be can i just be in the in the hard moment for for a minute yeah before i have to like be resilient again oh yes amen amen i am feeling that very yeah. much but honestly at the same time in my live performances it's like i want to acknowledge that feeling for everyone Mm -hmm. um and at the same time I want to almost like feel catharsis but in a in a more positive way in a more Mm -hmm. silver linings way in a more Mm -hmm. um like bobbing your head and saying oh I feel that but not necessarily crying and saying oh I feel that which I used to like I used to kind of like accept that my music just has that effect and um yes but right now coming out of the pandemic it's almost like oh the grief is so deep for so many people that like I'm not going to play those songs in that way for now while people are healing but I still, mm-hmm. I still want to acknowledge the pain you've been through. Like, there's no way that yeah. I cannot acknowledge that. And so I'm finding these new ways to play these songs that are acknowledging pain that, oh like, gosh. are more syncopated or more groovy and, mm-hmm. and, like, bringing in the band on songs that I used to play solo or, or find, like, find this way for, like, the introspective chorus to be a little more hooky but like yeah <laughs> yeah and this is the way that I, like I'm almost coping with almost like this is how I need to be able to to like build back the walls of my resilience is to like mm-hmm. have songs that like won't make me feel all of the sadness but will like hold space for me right now and so that I can build back my strength and 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 I was thinking I probably the audience is going through that too so I've been like reinterpreting these songs to be almost a little more groovy a little more syncopated yeah um have a little more of like an upbeat but still be talking about the same hard stuff and in a way Mm -hmm. like like letting it bring on like a groan of relating to something rather than like a sob of relating to something right (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love that way of putting it. Because um, some, I mean, some of these songs are really, really heavy. And yeah, yeah. I love that you have that compassion towards like, songs aren't harmless. Like they really can bring on 
Mm-mm. huge emotions for better and mm-hmm. for worse. Mm-hmm. It makes me think about Burnt and Broken. Yeah. That song really touched me. And I would love to know how you came to write it, mm. how you decided to go with that really, really touching arrangement. Like, did you start with lyrics? Did you start with the guitar riff? Like, what was the process like? Yeah. Well, I wrote that song in my last year of college, and mm-hmm. I majored in gender studies, gender and sexuality studies, and minored in dance, and then played music mm-hmm. all the rest of the time. I don't know how I graduated, but I did. <laughs> I did. I did read you did everything. That. Yeah, somehow I, I did that. <laughs> um, so I was like in the dance studio and then like in band practices and then also somehow like reading several books a week and writing all these papers on on Mm -hmm. queer theory and feminism and neoliberalism and all sorts of uh, ecology things and isms yeah yeah all the isms and it opened my eyes and gave me a vocabulary that also gave me the ability to like notice what was happening around me in a way that Mm -hmm. I did not grasp before then it was like I was experiencing sexism and misogyny but I didn't have the words for it and I knew I felt uncomfortable but I didn't understand why and what I told myself before I had the words was that's just how it is to be a woman I guess right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I that's guess a laugh that's of recognition is. not like an yeah. actual that's funny <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that's a laugh of how horrifying and yes I've experienced yes. it and I see it too like yeah it's it's just awful and but that is what I saw and I know so many people tell themselves that even now if I, I like kind of shudder to think how would I be navigating this without that education? And in a way, I feel like my gender studies degree um, was what makes me a good songwriter. (laughs) Like, I I don't know how I did it before without the knowledge that I was so privileged and lucky to to acquire during my Mm -hmm. education experience. But so fast forward to, like, the last year of college – I've had four years of gender studies, studies, uh, wait, gender studies, studies. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, I'm, uh, I'm with you. Yeah, you following me? Because I'm getting lost. <laughs> okay. Four years of gender I'm studies. I'm on the trail. <laughs> You're studying gender studies studiously. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so it's finally really starting to click in how effed up uh, the world that you and I and all of us are moving through is and it's Mm -hmm. especially condensed on a college campus in a way that is really terrifying um yes and so as the years went on it got to the point where every single one of my friends and myself had experienced some sort of power-based violence on college campus so it was just like I think this song came out because it had to and even though it's this quiet song like finger plucked acoustic guitar Mm -hmm. it's coming from a place of deep rage and horror at like the place that this culture has gotten to and 
that being said, um, I feel like it's actually an uplifting song at the end of the day because it's naming what's wrong. Right. And then putting it in a new light. Because when you make a song about that, it automatically puts it in a new light because Mm -hmm. people are going to listen in a different way or even engage with the matter in a different way than if you were to just speak to them verbally about it or like send Mm -hmm. them an article or something. Like when you experience music, you're like immediately literally resonating with it. And, and, And it's almost like you feel it before you cerebrally understand it well it's like a joy thing i feel like pleasure and enjoyment and sound create this aperture through which politics can come through totally or the truth or history or whatever it is like you know music travels light and then Mm -hmm. you can bring in information Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and that those lyrics just like poured out of me one night after the umpteenth mm-hmm. time that one of my closest friends had told me something horrible that had happened at a party to them and they were blaming themselves and I was oh just like God. what an effing world we live in with this effing mm-hmm. endless charms like this is messed yeah. up however I have more of an understanding now of where this is coming from like this is coming from fear this is coming from a culture of perpetrators being raised to think that they can't be vulnerable, that they can't right. ever show weakness and they can't be emotional and they can't talk about the things that hurt them. And so then they just end up hurting people because they mm-hmm. think that that's how they're supposed to be. They think that that's what's strong. They think that that's what masculinity is or power is. And I feel so bad for them. And I, I so wish that they could be honest. And coming back to the theme of honesty, like, it's just amazing how hard it can be for some people to be honest with themselves, to be honest with each other. Mm. And and I think Burnt and Broken is saying, like, it's there. Like, the truth is there. The honesty is there. The ability to be vulnerable is there. These people who are doing these acts of violence are just so distant from that they've pushed themselves Mm -hmm. away from that out of their own trauma or cultural narratives or whatever it is but they're so scared to be vulnerable but I do believe that it's possible for them I do I do believe that people can change be it over a generation or in a lifetime but I do believe that it can change and I'm witnessing it changing and and I have friends who give me so much hope but something that also gives me so much hope is performing that song and seeing how people respond to it like every time it surprises me because you know it still feels like the topic of sexual assault is taboo and yet Mm -hmm. people are like standing up at the end of the song or like yelling or or one time we played we played at a festival in Cambridge and like all of these people were milling about and then everybody stopped for that song. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I just, it touches I, a nerve. Yeah. It, it, it gets, it gets to people somehow. And, and I don't know, I'm just grateful and, and it gives me hope. And so even though this song is like 
heart-wrenching and it's a hard topic I feel strength in it I feel both like mm-hmm. hot anger and and like the power of just like being real about it but I also feel hope when I see how people react to it oh man yeah it's a really powerful song I mean I hate when people describe songs as powerful I feel like <laughs> it's like such a broad brush but like it's a beautiful song um and it feels really true and really clear and really you so I'm just so excited for everyone to hear this EP I think by the time the episode comes out it'll be release week for you yeah um, and oh. you will be I you have an um, incredible tour schedule coming up like are you excited to be back on the road oh my gosh I'm sharing so these songs excited. like how are you prepping for touring um I mean I'm practicing I'm Love making a lot of posts. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> trying Great. to survive the social media battle, and and I'm my thoughts and prayers are <laughs> with you. you. Thank you. I really need them right now. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, wait. What is your favorite part of touring, and what is mm, your least favorite? Favorite part of touring. Um, favorite part of touring is probably after the show when everybody's hearts are super open and then you just like end up, either you end up having like this awesome conversation with someone or just like witnessing all these people having awesome conversations Mm -hmm. or, or you end up like at a place you never expected to go, like the locals favorite ice cream shop or like this like amazing park or uh like oh there's a thing like a street festival down the street like i don't know there's just like all sorts of amazing things that happen after you play music that never would have happened otherwise and i i just love (laughs) it i love that and lee's favorite i would say is the promotion the promotion is like so challenging for me i think anything where i have to try and explain myself and like prove myself or convince people of things it's like i don't want to convince you of anything i just know no you just want to play the songs yeah i I just know (laughs) that if you come to this show you will feel better like (laughs) you you, (laughs) let me help you (laughs) let me uplift you (laughs) yeah Uh, um okay well i am so excited for people to hear this incredible ep narratives and to see you on tour uh, yeah thank you I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, you know this is the life of like oh, no, the, no, no. the like nanosecond lag and I'm so good at interrupting people when there's a nanosecond lag because I'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you, okay well don't get too excited to leave yet because I have one more assignment for you okay good are you willing to do a lightning round okay yes however I I brought a prop I <gasps> <laughs> let me see okay I brought the cd (gasps) that is a gorgeous photo (laughs) thank Um, you i'm gonna share this album art um when we release the episode because the music is amazing and the images around it are so like warm and and beautiful like renaissance painting oh thank you yeah for those of you listening the album has a photo of my face unsurprisingly um but my face (laughs) is like i'm on my side lying down mm-hmm. over like r- ripples of gold sparkly gold fabric and oh, i'm wearing gorgeous. a gold sparkly gold shirt and the sun is shining down on me and there's this golden 
this golden glow across my whole face and mm-hmm. it's very dramatic is especially dramatic for like a singer songwriter in the folk oh yeah umbrella <laughs> but um it's more like a it, yeah it's more like a what like a renaissance painting where they would imagine a god of ancient greece <laughs> thank you Lizzie. you know i am like honored it's like it was painted in the in the 1300s about <laughs> the ancient times <laughs> <laughs> thank you so there you have it everybody you've gotten an auditory sneak peek of the physical cd and i just can't wait everybody buy the physical for you to CD. have it yes exactly i can't wait you for you to hold to it get your get yourself some physical media like Please. a real thing to hold in your hands from an independent amazing artist thank you i promise you it will do you good it will do you good <laughs> and where can people get that cd good question band camp i did band camp yeah band camp is the spot on my website it'll be on my website i'm not sure where else it'll be what other okay. sellers but it'll definitely be on my website and on band camp and um Amazing. obviously at a show <laughs> at the live show that's probably the best way to get it yeah. okay to the lightning round okay okay i the think rule i'm of ready the lightning round is you can skip a question okay but you cannot ask for any clarification or okay. like we're just keeping it moving okay okay it's I a am, speed round okay but you know one of the songs on my album is called slow down and i just want to say mm-hmm. like my brain <laughs> is like my speed is not the same as most people's and so like i'll feel okay. like i'm rushing but it might be it might be slow to the people listening, but so anyway, my pace. We accept is my you pace. and we celebrate you for who you are. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, first question: mm. Vanessa Williams or Whitney Houston? Vanessa Williams. What was the last movie or TV show that made you cry? Summer of Soul. Nice. What is your least favorite household chore? <laughs> Reorganizing. <laughs> What is your most favorite dessert? Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Chocolate. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? The Canary Islands, Tenerife, specifically. Pick one, electric or acoustic? Hollow body electric, ha ha. Best of both Uh, worlds. You got me there, you got me there. (laughs) This Um, is what I play. Now pick pick your favorite, James Taylor, James Dean or James Gandolfini? Shoot. This is the moment where you find out that I've like lived under a rock by being raised by touring musicians. <laughs> and like, I only, of those names, I only really know James Taylor. So I guess I can only like. So he's your fave. With, yeah, I guess he's my fave, but only because I'm ignorant. <laughs> Default is fine in this life. Okay. You have passed the lightning round with flying colors. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You've been an amazing guest. I cannot uh, wait for people to hear your new music. And I hope I get to see you at one of these tour dates coming up. So I thank you wait. so much, Elisa, for speaking with me. Thank you, Lizzie. It's truly an honor to have this conversation with you. And and just always wonderful to have a conversation among colleagues and with such an incredible artist as yourself. So oh, thank, thank you. you for sharing your wisdom through your questions and this conversation and yeah i really can't wait to hug you in person same (laughs) it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome okay you're the best you are take care everybody take care (laughs) bye
Basic Folk This Week was produced by Sarah Siplak. Our music is composed by Alex Stanton of Townspeople. Basic Folk is on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. Thanks again to Lizzie No for talking to Elisa Amador. And be sure to listen back to all of Lizzie's past interviews on Basic Folk including Amethyst Kia, Kishibashi, and Becca Mancari. You can find Basic Folk wherever you got this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, or at our website, basicfolk.com. And we'll talk to you next time. All right, thanks. Bye.